0: Today is Reformation Sunday. That's already been said. But I think it's an important day. Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes that man keeps making the same mistakes because he forgets. So there's the old adage that history repeats itself. You know why history repeats itself? Because man forgets. We see this with Israel as we read through the Old Testament, especially when we read through the books, um, really all of them from, you know, uh, starting in Genesis and we see from the creation of man, we see through the history of Israel that man forgets and man keeps repeating the same mistakes and the reason that is is because we are born sinful creatures So sin is not something that's slowly disappearing. Every time a new human being is born into this world, they're born in sin, and they're born with a condition of sin, and they are in need of regeneration. They need to be made new, and they need to have their hearts and their minds made new. We need new hearts, and we need renewed minds. And the process of sanctification is the process by which we grow up in maturity in Christ and our minds are being renewed and as our minds are being renewed, we are being transformed. We're changed people. So we don't think the way we've always thought, we don't act the way we've always acted, we don't do the things we've always done. So when someone is born again, when they have been saved, and when I talk about being saved, that's what I'm talking about. That something supernatural has happened. You have been regenerated, you've been born again, you've been made a new creation, given a brand new heart by God, but you still have the old brain. Even though you have the mind of Christ, you have this old brain still up here in your head, and you know it's still there because you can remember all the things you used to do in your old self, your old creation, right? And the Bible teaches us that we have to go through this process of renewing our mind. say, what in the world does this have to do with the Reformation? Well, it has a lot to do with the Reformation. And so today is known as Reformation Sunday. The Reformation, or the word Reformation, is defined as the act of reforming or the state of being reformed. And you can take that word reform and and reform. What are you doing? I'm reforming this. It got messed up. I'm reforming it back to what it's supposed to be. So in 1517, 502 years ago, an event occurred that literally changed the history of the world and ushered in what is commonly called the modern era. So if you're not a student of history, it's very interesting You should try. Even if you didn't like history in school, you should try going back and reading some history now. You might find it much more interesting than you did when you were in school. And so, 502 years ago, when what we call the Reformation took place, or the event that initiated it in earnest took place, it it literally changed our world. We are products of the Reformation. The very fact that we are not in a Roman Catholic church today or we're not under the authority of the Pope today, Christ Fellowship, this non-denominational church, we, we are a product of the Reformation. Before the Reformation, all the world was Catholic. All the world was Roman Catholic. All the world was ruled by Rome. Now, we think today because there was one pope or there is one pope now that there's always just been one pope, but that's not true. There were at times as many as five popes. Did you know that? France had a pope. Italy had a pope. You had popes all over the place, and they were vying for power. Each one was trying to control the the church. And so it was a very... Chaotic time, it was a very turbulent time through much of the history of the world, which coincides with much of the history of the church. So if we think church is just something that takes place for a couple of hours on the Sunday morning, and it has no impact on what happens in our world, then we are naive. Because the very world we live in, the very nation we live in, the very system of government we live under is in large part due to the Reformation. So this Reformation took place 502 years ago when a Catholic monk by the name of Martin Luther nailed his 95 points of discussion on a castle door. Wittenberg, Germany, they had a castle The castle door was like the community bulletin board, and Martin Luther had 95 points of discussion that he wanted to talk about. He wanted the church to talk about these things, and he nails them up on this door, never dreaming that his simple act of nailing up these 95 points of discussion would turn into a world-changing movement that is still impacting the world today. But that's exactly what happened. And the far-reaching impact of the Reformation across continents and across centuries is far more significant today than most people realize. The influence of the Reformation continues to shape our daily lives in ways that we most often take for granted because they're such a part of our life. The freedoms we have, the luxury to enjoy each and every day are in large part a result of the Reformation. Our way of life, filled with liberty and abundance, is so ingrained in us that we do not stop to think that much of the world cannot even imagine the life that we are blessed to daily live. How many of you go to your kitchen sink, into your faucet, and ever wonder before you lift the lever or turn the knob, I wonder if water's going to come out today? Now, now I see you shaking your head there (laughs) because we just replaced Jan's water line. She's been without water for quite a while. And Sunette has her own issues with water. But taking that away, that is the exception. Or how many of you go and you flip a light switch and you're wondering if the lights are going to come on? How many of you have refrigerators that have food in them? How many of you have beds that have a mattress and blankets, and sheets? How many of you have some form of heat in your home? These are these are it's the exception not to not have these things. How many of you were afraid to come here today because you thought you might get arrested? none of us these are such a part of our lives these are these are just common things we live with them we've lived with these things for for generations for centuries not realizing the price that was paid to give us these freedoms and to give us this life that we have how many of you have more than one bible in your home i mean i mean I can't even tell you how many Bibles I have in my home. Yet there are places in the world where it is against the law for them to have Bibles. And Bibles are smuggled into places and they literally tear Bibles apart and pass portions of them around so that everyone can have bits and pieces of the Scripture. And if we don't have a Bible, guess what we can do? We can go to just about any store and buy a Bible. Or we don't even have to buy. I forgot my Bible today. So you know what I did? I just pulled my phone out. Because I've got multiple versions of the Bible on my phone. I've got my computer here today that I'm going to use. And I've got Bibles on my computer. More translations of the Bible on my computer than I'll ever use. Some of them I've never even heard of i've never even looked at there are so many translations of the bible do you know how we came to have so many translations of the bible it's called the reformation because before the reformation do you know it was against the law for people to have bibles it would have been against the law for you to have a bible John Wycliffe was killed because he wanted to translate the Bible into English. And the church wouldn't let him. And because he insisted and said, it's not right that the people can't have the scripture in their own language. It's not right. And they said, you better shut your mouth and you better quit pushing for this or something bad's going to happen. And he said, no, it's not right. And sure enough, he paid with his life. John Huss was similar. 200 years before Martin Luther, John Huss, a bohemian priest, said the people need to have the Bible in their own language. And he would not relent translating the Bible and printing the Bible by hand So people could have it in teaching the scripture and teaching people that the scripture alone is our guide. Reading the writings of Augustine and teaching the people about those things. And the people couldn't have those things themselves because most people couldn't read. Do you know why most people couldn't read? They didn't need to read. You just needed to know how to work, and whatever you did, you learned to do that work. You don't need to read the Bible. You've got a priest, and the priest will tell you what to believe and tell you what to think because it's too dangerous for the people to have the Bible because they won't know what to do with it. That literally was the argument. In other words, people are too stupid... To read the Bible and understand it on their own, they need a priest to tell them what to think. Now, where did that mentality come from? Did it come from the Bible? No. Because what does Paul show us? Paul shows us that when he went and he taught in Berea, the Bereans, it was said, sat there with the scriptures and they made sure everything Paul said lined up with the word of God. What was happening in the in what we call the Dark Ages, very often in the times of Huss and Wycliffe and those times even preceding Luther, what was happening there was the majority of the people couldn't read or write. You had an illiterate populace because of the, the mass destruction that happened when the Roman Empire fell and, and the world literally sank into darkness. That's why it's called the Dark Ages. And the only people that could read or write were the priests. And the priests were actually part of the aristocracy or the elite. They were allowed to be able to read and to write. But the scriptures were only in Greek or Hebrew or Latin. But you have these men like Wycliffe and Huss, And Hus, they burned him at the stake because he simply wanted to give the Bible and the teaching of the Scriptures to people and make it available for them and teach them that what should guide your life is not what a church says, but what the Scripture says. And if that church is not adhering to those Scriptures, then it is in rebellion to God. And churches can be in rebellion to God as much as people can be because what are churches? They're simply people. The Reformation was not the creation of something new. The Reformation was a return to something that already was. The Reformation... Has made the gospel readily accessible to each and every one of us. It was a return to the scripture. It was a return to the gospel into biblical Christianity. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. This literally is the verse that Martin Luther was reading when he had the epiphany that led to the Reformation. Romans chapter 1, I'm going to read 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Verse 17. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just or the righteous shall live by faith. Father, we ask that you would today open our hearts and minds. By your Holy Spirit, And by that spirit, Lord, change us and transform us and conform us to the image of Jesus. Renew our minds to your truth. Lord, help us realize the blessing that you have given to us. Not only in giving us Christ, but Lord, giving us all that we have that gives us access to truth. We don't have to hunt for it and dig for it and search for it. It's not hidden away. Lord, it's just out in the open. It's everywhere to be found. It's everywhere to be seen. It's everywhere to be read and accessed. Lord, help us to be a people that love the truth, that embrace the truth. And that do not take for granted the things that we have been given. Lord, things that were paid for with the blood of men the blood of martyrs who loved Jesus. Father, help us to be people that love him, even unto death, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So one day, Martin Luther read this text from verse 17 in Romans chapter 1, and he had this epiphany, and he realized that we're not saved because we're made or we become righteous. We're saved because God counts us righteous. God regards us righteous. We have no righteousness in ourselves. We're not born with a little bitty seed of righteousness that we just need to water and make bigger and bigger and bigger. No. The Bible is clear. We are born dead. We are born darkness. There is nothing good in us. Romans 3. There is no one who seeks after God. There is no one who is good. No, not one. There are none righteous. We've all gone astray. And Luther realized we're not saved because we are made righteous or become righteous or have any degree of righteousness in ourselves. We're saved by a righteousness that is alien to us, a righteousness that is other Than us. Righteousness doesn't come from us. It's not produced or infused in us. By sacraments. Or good works. When you come to the table today. And you eat that bread and drink that cup. That sacrament is not putting righteousness in you. You come to the table. Because God counts you righteous. Through your faith in Jesus Christ. Because you're trusting in what Jesus has already done. Not what you're trying to do. Righteousness is imputed to us. In Christ, we are regarded as righteous. We're counted as righteous because of faith. That is faith in the only righteous one, the Lord Jesus. And we are justified by faith alone. This is what the scriptures teach. Not just the New Testament scriptures, but all of the scriptures. Abraham was counted righteous because he believed God. It was his faith in God that made him righteous. Why a reformation? Luther began to see the doctrine of justification by faith in the Scripture along with other truths that had come to be overshadowed or buried by man's tradition, by papal decrees, and by the politics of the Roman church. And Luther purposed to make known these things in hopes that a discussion could take place and the doctrine of the church could become reformed. You see, Luther never set out to separate from the roman catholic church he set out to bring a reformation to the roman catholic church he had very good intentions i don't know if he was very naive or not but it didn't take him long to figure out that that was not going to happen The Reformation marked the beginning of a concerted effort to reform the doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church, to return the church to true biblical Christianity. Rome rejected any change, so the Reformation resulted in the establishment of what we commonly today call the Protestant movement. And you know what Protestant means? Protesters. We were protesters. That's what we were. We were called protesters. So if you weren't standing with the Pope and the Roman Catholic Church, you were considered a protester, or what we call today Protestants. Now, I don't want you to think I'm not Catholic bashing. We're going to have our community Thanksgiving service at Our Lady of Guadalupe Catholic Church. They've offered to host it, and we are more than thrilled to to hopefully get the entire church of Taylor, as many as we can, to go there the Sunday night before Thanksgiving and have a community worship service, a bilingual community worship service. And have pastors and priests alike proclaiming the gospel and why we have reason to be thankful and to rejoice. But there are real differences. And part of my purpose in talking about this today, number one, is that you realize that history matters, that you realize that, that there have been things that have taken place and people have paid prices for us to be able to, to have what we have today. Whether you realize that or not, you have it because of what men and women did throughout the ages. And some of them literally gave their lives so that we could sit here today and read our Bibles and hear the gospel and, and then go home and read the Bible for ourselves or go to the throne of grace for ourselves. When I invite you to come up for prayer each week, it's not because you can't pray for yourself. It's not because I've got a closer relationship with God and, and you need me to, to get you over the hump. That's, that's not right. There's power in agreement. It's an act of faith. It's an act of humility. It's, it's, the Bible says, pray for one another. And this is what we do. It's not because you can't pray for yourself. It's not because you need Pastor Jeff to be your mediator. I'm not your mediator. Jesus is your mediator. You go directly to the throne of grace when you come up for prayer. We just go together. But it's Jesus who is our mediator. Luther and the other priests were ultimately excommunicated from the Roman Catholic Church. But they were committed to preaching and teaching a theology that was conformed to Scripture alone. And they established churches committed to Scripture and committed to preaching the gospel of Christ. And committed to teach the masses, to teach the people these truths. There was a movement to recapture the truths of biblical Christianity The Reformation set in motion world-changing events and forces that continue to shape human history today. Do you think it's an accident that the millions of people walking through the streets of Hong Kong are singing the song that we sang today? Sing Alleluia to the Lord. They understand these are Christians. There is something. This is a move of God. This isn't just a pro-democracy movement. God is doing something. The freedoms we have today as Americans are a direct result of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you think it's an accident that the, the most populous nation on earth that has outlawed Christianity, not only outlawed it, but slaughtered and murdered anyone of faith, Mao killed tens if not hundreds of millions of people, educated, faithful, it didn't matter. And he reduced that population down to a place where he could indoctrinate and manipulate. And they are officially an atheistic country. And the only reason they have what they have today is because the West is going over there and has put their money and their expertise and their things to take advantage of cheap labor. Don't believe the lie that the politically correct people tell you they're all against slavery. Yeah, except they want slave laborers to to make their tennis shoes, Nike. They want slave laborers to make their computer parts, Apple and everybody else. But yet here in America, we're going to put this face up like we're so righteous and we're so holy. But we don't mind taking advantage of the slave labor of China to line our pocketbooks so that we can have what we want. I do have an Apple computer and many of the components in this computer, I'm sure, were made in China, even if they were assembled in America. I don't know. And I'm okay with that because I know that God's working in that nation. One of the greatest revivals is taking place in China. What the, what the news... Touts is a pro-democracy movement. Protesters, you notice they call them protesters. Well, we come from a long line of protesters. We're Protestants. We protested too. And that's what they're doing. But don't be fooled and don't think that God is not working. There's a reason why they're walking the streets of Hong Kong singing Alleluia to the Lord because they know ultimately their freedom is is in Jesus Christ. This is is a work of the Spirit that's taking place. The same type of work of the Spirit that took place during the Reformation that transformed the continent and transformed the world. Initially, there were three main points that drove the Reformation. Scripture alone should be our guide. Faith alone, we're, we're justified by faith alone. And the third was this principle, this truth called the priesthood of all believers. That we don't need a human mediator to get us to God. We have Jesus. And those three initial primary points eventually came, became what's known as the five solas or the five pillars of the Reformation. The five solas of the Reformation are this. Scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone. Christ alone, to God alone, be the glory. I'm going to read you a quick summary of the five solas from the Cambridge Declaration of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, a conservative group of evangelicals who rewrote the five solas basically in a modern language, in a modern context uh, of the world we live in. They did this in 1996 because in 1996, many of these pastors could see what was happening and understood that the Reformation we had 500 years ago is the same Reformation we need today. The same thing that sunk us into darkness a thousand years ago will sink us into darkness today unless we look to and put our faith in the light of Christ. So, Scripture alone, sola scriptura, the inerrant Scripture, the Bible is the sole source of written divine revelation, which alone can bind the conscience. The Bible alone teaches all that is necessary for salvation from sin and is the standard by which all Christian behavior must be measured. It is denied that any creed, counsel, or individual may bind a Christian's conscience, that the Holy Spirit speaks independently of or contrary to what is set forth in the Bible, the Holy Spirit will not speak independently of or contrary to what is set forth in the Bible. And we also believe that the personal spiritual experience of a person is never a vehicle of revelation. In other words, you can't say, Well, God gave me a revelation. Well, well, that goes against the Bible. Yeah, but I know, but the but the Lord appeared to me and told me, and that trumps the Bible. Now, that's what Joseph Smith said when he started Mormonism. An angel appeared to me and gave me these these golden tablets and said, go start a new religion. Restore the true church. Because from the time of the apostles until now, Joseph Smith, the church is corrupt. And you're going to be the man that's going to bring back the true church with another testament of Jesus Christ. All Joseph Smith had to do was read his Bible and know that that was wrong. Because the Apostle Paul said, even if an angel comes to you preaching another gospel, reject him. But see, Joseph Smith didn't pay attention and didn't believe that Scripture alone can give us a revelation. I can't get a revelation on my own. And it will never, whatever revelation I get, it will never, ever supersede the Scripture. It has to submit to the Scripture, or it's a lie. Grace alone. In salvation, we are rescued from God's wrath by His grace alone. It is the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit that brings us to Christ by releasing us from our bondage to sin and raising us from spiritual death to spiritual life. It is denied that salvation is in any sense a human work. Human methods, techniques, or strategies by themselves cannot accomplish this transformation. Faith is not produced by our unregenerated human nature. Faith alone, the third of the five solas. Justification is by grace alone through faith alone because of Jesus, Jesus Christ alone. In justification, Christ's righteousness is imputed to us as the only possible satisfaction of God's perfect justice. Our justification does not rest on any merit to be found in us, nor upon the grounds of an infusion of Christ's righteousness in us, nor that an institution claiming to be a church that denies or condemns sola fide or faith alone can be recognized as a legitimate church. In other words, it is by faith alone that we are justified. And it doesn't matter what any church says, it doesn't matter what any man says. It's what the scriptures have declared. Christ alone, the fourth of the five solas. Our salvation is accomplished by the mediatorial work of the historical Christ. Not the mythical Christ, but the historical Christ. Jesus was a real man who walked this real earth. He's not a mythical Christ. He is a historical Christ. And our salvation is in that historical Christ alone. His sinless life and substitutionary atonement alone are sufficient for our justification and reconciliation to the Father. It is denied that the gospel is preached if Christ's substitutionary work is not declared and faith in Christ and his work is not solicited. If anyone tells you that you just need to work a little harder for your salvation, you need to pray a little harder, you need to do a little more penance, no, 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 no. You can't work and earn your salvation. Jesus has already done the work. You have to put your faith, your trust in Jesus. Because it is in Christ alone that we are saved. To the glory of God alone. It is affirmed that because salvation is of God and has been accomplished by God. It is for God's glory that we must glorify him always. It is for God's glory that we must glorify Him always. We must live our entire lives before the face of God, under the authority of God, and for His glory alone. It is denied that we can Properly glorify God if our worship is confused with entertainment, if we neglect either law or gospel in our preaching, or if self-improvement, self-esteem, or self-fulfillment are allowed to become alternatives to the gospel. And they are very often alternatives today to the gospel And they're preached in the name of the gospel, but they are not the gospel. Those are the five solas. Scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. The other one that I mentioned was the priesthood of all believers. This was one of the great principles of the Reformation that taught all believers are a holy priesthood. This is what 1 Peter 2:5 says. All believers are priests before God through our great high priest Jesus. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. As believers, we all have direct access to God through Christ. There is no necessity for an earthly mediator. The Roman Catholic and the Eastern Orthodox Church's concept of the priesthood was seen as having no warrant in Scripture, viewed as a preservation and a misapplication of the Old Testament Levitical priesthood that was done away with in the New Testament because it was fulfilled in Christ. These foundational Principles were the pillars that upheld the revelation, the, the Reformation, Scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, this truth that all believers are a priesthood and that we have direct access to God. This is why you have a Bible because you in Christ have the Holy Spirit living in you, and yes. I teach you and the church teaches you, but ultimately, I can't give you a revelation of God. Only the Spirit in you can give you a revelation of Christ. And as you read the Bible and study the Bible and pray the Bible, the Spirit in you will illuminate the scriptures that you read and that you pray and that you meditate on. And that illumination by the Holy Spirit will give to you the greater revelation, the ongoing revelation of Christ in you, the hope of glory. No man can give that to you. Only God can do that. Only His Spirit can do that. But He doesn't do that apart from His Word, apart from the Scripture, which is why we look to Scripture alone. He doesn't do that apart from His grace, because the very very ability you have, the very desire you have to know Him, to grow in Him, is His grace. You can't do it apart from faith, because it takes faith, because without faith it's impossible to please God. And you're looking at that scripture, reading that scripture, praying that scripture, not to learn better principles by which to live by, but to better see Christ. Because the more you can see and the better you can see Christ, the more you are being transformed into the very same image. And all of this is for the glory of God. All things are for the glory of God, both bitter and sweet. It's all for the glory of God. As a result of these principles, the Reformers rejected the authority of the Pope, the merit of good works, indulgences, the mediation of Mary and the saints. They rejected all but two sacraments instituted by Christ, baptism and the Lord's Supper. They rejected the doctrine of transubstantiation. We don't believe the bread turns into the body of Jesus and we don't believe the wine turns into the blood of Jesus. That's not how Jesus is present at the table. Jesus is present at the table because you're present at the table because you are the body of Christ. They rejected the mass as a sacrifice. They rejected purgatory, prayers for the dead, confession to a priest, and a lot of other things that went along with all of that that, that distracted from the purity of the gospel. And they said, get rid of all of that and let's go back to Scripture alone and allow Scripture alone to define Our faith, our life, and our conduct in all things. The just shall live by faith. The reformers rejected the doctrine of faith plus works equals salvation. The truth of justification by faith alone apart from works is not a rejection of works. It is a rejection of salvation by man's work and the affirmation of salvation by Christ's work. The idea that justification by faith alone in Christ alone would minimize the need or the motivation for good works comes from a misunderstanding of the doctrines of grace. We just started a brand new Sunday school uh, session this morning. It is the doctrines of grace in the Old Testament. The doctrines of grace that we're talking about didn't just start in the New Testament with the coming of Jesus. They were... The teachings of the scripture from the very beginning of the creation of the world. Justification by faith is not justification for sin. Sanctification and holiness are essential in the life of the believer. They flow from the reality of justification by faith in the grace of God. Grace is not the liberty to sin, but the power and the ability to walk free from sin through faith. Walking free from sin through faith is not a mental exercise, but the exercise of presenting my members as slaves of righteousness for holiness, Romans 6.20. Faith not only walks and talks, faith works. And this was often the argument that if we just teach justification by faith, people are going to think they can live any way they want to. And all they have to do is say they believe in Jesus. No, you missed the point of God's grace. God's grace doesn't set us free to sin. God's grace sets us free from sin because we were hopelessly bound by sin. Sin is not simply our behavior. Sin is our condition from birth. We need to be delivered from our nature of sin, not only our sinful behavior. We have sinful behavior. Remember the same reason my dog barks? He barks because he's a dog. He didn't become a dog once he started barking. You didn't become a sinner when you started sinning. You started sinning because you were born a sinner. And it's just what sinners do. And we need to be delivered from our nature of sin. That's why we must be born again into a new life and a new hope by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. As we are made new creations in Jesus, we are free to walk in the liberty of the law of the Spirit of life in Christ. In the old creation, we were held in bondage to sin. In the new creation, we are made free from sin. As new creations, we are no longer in bondage to sin. We may now choose holiness, whereas before, I could not. Our motivation to choose holiness must come from the reality of God's grace and love working in us through faith in Jesus Christ. Fear can be a catalyst, but only love never fails. Our motivation to obedience and holiness must be out of our love for God, born out of God's love for us. And we know this. We love God because he first loved us. The reality of our salvation and our liberty from sin does not come about by any human work. It does not come about from faith plus works. Our liberty comes from the law of the spirit of life in Christ by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It is the gift of God so that no man may boast. As the apostle writes, you once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, Ephesians 5, 8. And if we have been made free from sin by grace through faith, let us walk free from sin by grace through faith. Let us live free from sin by grace through faith. The Reformation returned the church to the purity of the gospel. It returned the church to the scripture as the sole source of revelation and the final say in all matters of faith and life. The Reformation taught the believer that there was only one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. It empowered the believer to go directly to the throne of grace by a new and living way by Jesus Christ. That way is paved by his blood. The Reformation set men free from dead works and idolatry the Roman church had promoted through penance for sin, the veneration of Mary, prayers to dead saints, and all manner of doctrines that seem to hold men in bondage and superstition rather than setting them free to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. The problem is not a particular denomination that is Roman or Eastern. The problem is sin. It is man who sets up these systems in an attempt to save himself, or at the very least to cover himself, as we saw in the garden. This condition goes back to the original fall of man when man chose to become his own God and make his own choices apart from the revelation of God that had been given to him. We can celebrate the Reformation, we can call ourselves Reformed, but the danger has not departed us. The real danger that sin poses is still in our world. It is still in our very midst right now. It will manifest and do its destructive work wherever men are trusting in themselves rather than trusting in God. Our sinful bent is to trust ourself rather than to trust God. Now, you might not consciously think that. You may not consciously say, you know what, I think I'm going to trust myself instead of trusting God. It's not that. We most often do this unconsciously. It comes very natural for us as human beings. But we this is where we need to be vigilant and pay attention. And when we find ourselves not trusting God or when we find ourselves choosing our own way instead of the way that's been given to us, whether it's come from the Scripture whether it's come from those in authority over us. Why do you think the Bible says to submit to those in authority over you? Because all authority comes from God. You say, well, I'm not going to rebel against God, but I'm going to rebel against this authority. Well, you're rebelling against God, unless that authority has put itself above God, like the Chinese government has. And the Chinese government says there is no God, we're God. We're God. Kim in North Korea says, There is no God. I'm the God of North Korea. Everyone submit to me. Well, guess what? If we were believers in North Korea, guess what we would not do? Even though Kim is the authority. Who's the authority above Kim? Who's the authority above the Chinese communist state? God is. And when the Chinese government state or Kim says, Submit to me, there is no God, we say, No, sorry. We can submit to you as long as you're submitted to God, but we're not going to submit to you if you try to replace God. We disobey God in all sorts of ways, some in very obvious ways, and those are the ones we pay most attention to. We most often pay, pay attention to the ways we obviously disobey God. But we often miss the areas of disobedience that are far more subtle and less obvious, but just as sinful and destructive, if not more. And I say if not more because those are the areas that we're not paying attention to. You know what the the enemy loves to do? He loves to create diversions. The enemy loves to get our eyes off of the thing we should be paying attention to and get it over onto something that we think is so, oh God, this is what I got to pay attention to. This is what's... This is my main problem. When in reality, this is not my main problem. I got a bunch of little problems over here the enemy keeps drawing my attention away from. Have you ever heard the uh, statement, the devil's in the details? Well, he is. The enemy will often keep us focused on the big sins, knowing that it is the little foxes that spoil the vine. The devil is in the details, but he wants us to ignore those details to our own demise. God is patient. He will allow us to fumble and fall around like a toddler learning to walk. Have you ever noticed that? He'll let you bump your head too, get hurt and cry. God is wise. He'll allow us to fail like an adolescent learning a valuable lesson that can only be learned through that failure. You ever wonder why God lets us fail? Because very often failure is the only way we're going to learn the lesson. Parents, have you ever stood back and said, mm, I see my kid and I know this is going to hurt, but they've got to learn. They've got to learn this lesson. And if I rescue them from everything that's going to hurt them, they're never going to learn how to live life. So good parents don't rescue their kids from everything that hurts them. Do you know how I deal with almost on a weekly basis people who grew up where their parents rescued them from everything and they are completely dysfunctional and unable to function in the world. They're learning now as adults what they never learned as children and adolescents. So God is wise. He'll let us fail to learn the lessons that we can learn no other way. God is graceful. He knows how to bring us to the place that will result in our growing up and releasing our sin to Him. That could be a very painful place or it could be a very joyful place. Sometimes it's our choice and sometimes we choose wrongly. Sometimes we just choose to be rebellious. And we make excuses and we justify our excuses. And God says, that's okay. In my grace, I'm going to let you come to a place where you're going to finally realize I mean, don't think that's the cruelty of God. That's the grace of God, church. We've all been there, and we're all going to be there again in some form or fashion. And whatever that place may be, the end result is for our good and for his glory, because remember, all things are for his glory. God is holy. God is patient and wise and graceful, But his holiness demands that we do not ignore our sin. Justification by faith alone is not so that we can ignore our sin and just give lip service to Jesus. It's so that we can deal with our sin because only by grace can we deal with our sin. Only through faith can we deal with our sin. Only in Christ can we deal with our sin. The grace of God doesn't simply deal with the obvious. It seeks out the hidden matters of the heart to expose all to the light that we may be free. The Reformation has given to us the assurance that we do not simply cover our sin with good works or with penance, but that we see ourselves saved from sin and death, walking in holiness and overcoming all by God's grace. Through faith in Jesus Christ. This is how we're going to overcome. This is how we overcome. By grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Whatever you need to overcome. You're going to overcome it by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to come to the table. And I want you to invite you. To thank him for his grace. This is a table of thanksgiving. Thank him for his grace that has given to you faith to look to, to trust in Jesus. And know that it's not our righteousness, it is his righteousness that we celebrate. And he has, in his grace, counted us regarded us righteous because of what Jesus has done. That's why this is the table of the Lord. This is why we celebrate the body and the blood of Jesus. It's what Jesus has done. As you trust Jesus, come to this table. Let's all stand. Your charge today is to be reformers. Be like the men and the women that have gone before us. You might not be required to pay with your life or with your blood, but pay the price to walk in truth. Pay the price to walk in the truth that God has made known to us and revealed to us. As the Reformation changed the world 500 years ago, may it continue to change our world today. If it will if we commit to walk by faith in the revelation that God has given to us in His Word and through His Son. We can see reformation in our own lives, in our families, in our churches, in our communities, and in this nation as we purpose to walk according to the Spirit, no longer fulfilling the lust of the flesh. May we see ourselves as modern-day reformers and work and fight and trust to see our world even Your world, right immediately around you, changed for the glory of God. God is not a respecter of persons. He didn't love Martin Luther more than he loves you. He didn't love anyone more than he loves you if you are his child. And he gives to you the same grace and the same gift to walk in his truth. So church, walk in it you are children of light, walk as children of light and make a difference in this world. Pay attention to the details and let God be glorified in all things. Amen.